Gemara Erubin has been sponsored by Mr. Isaac Jamal and his wife Celia for their success, for their children's success, health, happiness, beracha, parnasav, atzlaha, bechol maaseh yedehem. Dap Samich Dalid. Today's daf has been dedicated by Mr. Isaac Shrebat in honor of his parents, Mr. Jack and Marilyn Shrebat. Hashem Alehim Yehyu Amin. Today's daf is being studied by Ilun Ishmat, Acham Baruch, Rafael Ben Miriam, and Abraham Ben Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanichem Began Eden. Amin. We start today on daf Samich Gimal Amud Sheni. And we start two lines from the bottom, the last word on the line, Azal. Our case over here that we are discussing in today's Gemara <coughs> is a case where you had a Mavui and you had Hatserot in the Mavui. And in order to be allowed to carry in the Mavui, you need what's called Shitufem Mavuot. All the Hatserot must get together and join collectively in order to make themselves into one unit and then they're allowed to carry in the Mavui. That's one of the Takanot of the Hachamim. It's called Shetufim Mavuot. But the case was that there was a Goy living in one of the Hatserot. And we learned in the Mishnah that if a Goy lives in one of the Hatserot, the only option uh, in order to be able to make an Eruv is that somebody go and rent his property from him. Eruv doesn't work, and renouncing his property doesn't work, you have to rent it. Problem was that the Goy, when I even tells us his name, uh, his name was Lahman Barristak. He didn't want to rent, and therefore had a problem. People wanted to carry, so you have one guy, the Goy, is ruining it for everybody else. And this would be a problem, seemingly, even according to the B, the Aizer ben Yaakov, because he holds when there's two Jews and one Goy, so he ruins the, uh, he ruins the situation in the sense that if you don't get him to uh, rent his property from you, you can't carry. In this case, nobody carrying the Mavui. So they came to Abaye for a solution. So I said, fine, no problem, we have a solution. Everybody uh, join up and make a shituf, all the Jews make a shituf with each other, meaning with one Jew. Everybody give their property, so to speak, to one guy. And now it's one Jew and one goy. And the law of one Jew and one goy, according to Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, they, you don't need uh, to deal with the goy. His dwelling is not considered a dwelling. And we said that, in such a case as well, it's not a prevalent case where people re- uh, renounce their dwellings to all, to one person in the Hatser or in the Mavui. So therefore, since it's not a common case, Rabbi Azab and Yaakov only made the Gezerah of a Goy when it's a prevalent case. Two Jews living with a Goy. Now the prevalent cases where two Jews have their residence, not that they have a tailored to one guy. So therefore, since it's not Shiach, so therefore, that would be the option. Now, of course, as she points out, the option doesn't solve everything. It solves that the the Jew that now becomes the one single resident, he'd be permissible to carry from his house into the Hatser. Uh, and it would be permissible 
for things that were in the Hatser from before Shabbat or in the Mavui, I'll call it before Shabbat, things like that would be permissible as well. But the other people that renounced their uh, ownership to one guy, they would not be allowed to carry from their Hatser into the Mavui. Because they, you know, they gave up, they relinquished their right. But at least it uh, takes care of some of the issues. Where you can't carry in the Mavui now, things that were there, and that helps for, for that guy himself that now uh, got all the... Uh, the uh, possessions. So Rav Huna was not so happy. The Gemara says, "Azal Rav Huna bered Rav Yoshua." I'm not a shmatek. Come in, Rava. So Rav Huna went to Rav Yoshua and he told him this deen that Rabbi said how to resolve the issue. Amale. So Rava comes along and says, "Inken, if that's the case, if that's what Rabbi told you to do, bitalta Torah eruv." Basically, what you're doing is you're nullifying the law of shetufeh mevuot ve'otom avui in this in this situation. She says, if you're going to allow this to happen, you, you, you're going to eventually cause the law of shetufeh mevuot to be uh, to be nullified. How? So uh, the mefarshim explain because this goy obviously does not want to rent. Right? Just like he doesn't want to rent this week. He's not going to rent next week. And therefore, the Jews are never going to be able to really make shetufim mivuot according to the law. So what are they going to end up having to do? They're going to have to be mivatel de shoot to one guy, like they do every week. And because of that, the law of shetufim mivuot is going to become forgotten. They're not going to know that such a law exists. And they might come in another case to carry in the Mavui without even making this uh, this bitul reshut. Which means normally, how do you carry the Mavui? There's a process, there's a procedure, the shetufim mevot, everybody gets together, the bread in one chatzir. By doing this every week, so I can come to the fact that the institution of shetufim mevot is going to be forgotten. Because now you're just relying on what? That everybody every week just gives it to, to one guy. The lashon of the Rosh is... And the guy that's carrying from his house into the Mavui, there was no Eruv that was made over here. Right? Eruv was not made. That's not an option in this case. So they're gonna, you're going to think that you can carry now in Mavuot without it. It'll lead to a situation where you might carry without a, um, an Eruv. So comes again and says, fine. No problem. The situation is... Which is if all you need is an eruv, make an eruv. Even though technically it's not valid, but make an eruv. You worried about people are going to think that you can't care? Go around to all the hatserot, collect the bread, as if they made a shit to fimimot. Even though that's not the item that's going to allow them to carry. What's going to allow them to carry? The fact that you... Uh, that the uh, renounced the shoot to each, each other, but at least, so you don't forget the concept of Eruv, make a Eruv. The Ma'arbeh, the Gemara says. So the Gemara says, Yumru Eruv Mu'il Bimkom Nukhri. Another Gezira. The people are going to say, oh, you can make a Eruv, we have a Goy over here. So they come along and think, that it's the Eruv that's making it. That it's the Shituf that's making it. And we know that when you have a Goy, Shituf does not help. So that's a problem. So the Gemara says, we have a solution to that. A solution we meet to that is, the Mechrezinan. 
make an announcement. Make an announcement. Rabotai, we're making this iruv, but it's not the iruv that's uh, making the uh, heter for us to carry. It's the fact that the goy, um, you know, the fact is that we all joined together, and therefore, you know, don't think it's the iruv. Make an announcement so the people will not um, not make a mistake. Comes the Gemara and says, Achrasta ledardeke, which means, will this announcement help our children? Which means, what's going to be with the future generations? That might help for the people in the Hatserot at that time, the people in the Mivod, you tell them, listen, we're making an Eruv, but you should know it's not the Eruv that's doing it. They might know what's going on. The future generations, they're going to say, oh yeah, they used to make an Eruv in this case over here, even though we know it was a Goy, and they're going to end up coming to make Eruvin, what a goy, not knowing the whole details of the case that they were really mevatelled in a shoot to one another. So basically what Ravah is doing over here, he's saying, Abaye, your um, solution is not, is not good. It's not a good solution. It could lead to, to issues. So the Gemara says, Ela Amar Ravah. Ravah gives a totally different uh, way to resolve this dilemma. Lizil Hadminayu. Let one of the Jews in the Hatserot, let him go to the Goy, let him become his friend, let him get close to him, yeah, he's trying to get uh, on his good side. And eventually, by becoming his friend, you can ask the Goy if he can lend you some space in his Hatser. That's, that's the end game, you want to get some space in his Hatser. And then go take some of your stuff, the Jew, and put it in the Hatser of the Goy. And then the law of Sechiro and Likito will kick in. What is Sechiro? Sechiro is like somebody that rents space on a permanent basis. Likito is somebody that rents space on a seasonal basis. Like the farmers used to rent, let's say, um, uh, have, have rights in the field during the uh, threshing season or during the, uh, you know, the season of... Uh, yeah, he, he, he works, but he works at different seasons of the year. And as she says, the seasons, look at... Um, right, he says, During the katsir, during the reaping season, and that seems would be like the, uh, the gathering season. Now, what, what, what is this... Teen of Likitato Vasifato. So continue the Gemara. The Amar, the Yuda Amar of Shemuel, Afilu Sechiro, the Afilu Likito, even the employee of the Goy, that Sechiro is working now, he hires himself out, so to speak, where he's working for the Goy, the Afilu Likito, and even the temporary worker that works him seasonally, Noten Erubo Vedayo. He can make an iruv and it's enough. How is this, what's the mechanics of this, of this concept? So the Mephashim explained like this. The guy's working now for the Goy. He made friends with him. Please listen, I, can, I, uh, can I have a, a spot in your Hatser? I can put my stuff over there. I'm living, uh, I, he's living by him as well. So the law says like this. Now he has the zikhut somewhat in the house of the Goy. He got in. Of course, he doesn't own the Goy's house. It's still the Goy's house. But the point is, now that the Jew is 
working there, so to speak, and he has some rights to put his stuff there, that's enough to consider that that is the Jew's residence. Keep in mind, we always said that dirat goy lo dira. Generally speaking, the goy's residency is not considered a dira. Now that the Jew has somewhat rights to the hatzir, that he can put his things there, and he's, you know, by the goy, so therefore we're not hoshesh to the halik of the goy at all. And since the Jew now has a piece of the Goy's residency, it's considered Dirat Yisrael. What happens if it's Dirat Yisrael? Bingo, you're part of the Eruv now. Join with the Eruv with everybody else in the Shituf Mevuot, and now everybody will able to carry. So there's a way to get the Goy out of his, out of the picture. How? Get close to him, befriend him, get him to give you some rights in his Hatzis. Uh, so he has a Deen. Of the Kitatov Eschiro. The deed of the Kitatov Eschiro is somebody that actually is working for the Goy. This is not, he's not working for the Goy in this case, but it's a similar concept. The concept of the Kitatov Eschiro is what? Since I'm working for the Goy, I'm staying by the Goy's house. I'm in his house. I have a certain area in his house where I'm able to stay. That's considered my house. For Eru, we're lenient to say that's considered the Jews. I try to explain to you again. Because in truth, the Goy has no residency in the, in the Alakha. We're only being mahmir to give him residency to mess everybody else up. So therefore, in this case, where the Jew has some sort of connection, either he's the employee, or in this case over here, he's lending, he's borrowing space where he could put his stuff in. And that's what he does. According to that, you have to actually put the stuff in the hatzir. So therefore, that'll be considered Jewish residency. You knocked out the halik of the goy. Finished. Now already. And what do you gain? You gain that you're making an Eruv. Rabbah's whole contention was, oh, you're going to forget the concept of Eruv. People are going to think you don't have to make an Eruv anymore. No. We've done it in a way where now the Eruv is legal. And therefore, make a Shituf Mevuot, the normal way, with the Goy there, but everybody will know that it's the Shituf that's doing it. Therefore, one would be able to carry. Now, what you, exactly. What you gain over here also, according to Rabbah, is... Everybody can carry wherever they want now. Because you didn't mevatil it to one, to one guy, like according to Abba, yeah. Right? She's there, you can go from the Hatserot to the Hatserot, to the house, to the Mavoy, because everybody's equally part of the Eruv. So that's Rava's solution to this problem. So the Gemara goes on to say, Amar le Abayel Rabbi Yosef, Abayel comes along and tells Rabbi Yosef, Here's the question. You have the Goy's house. Similar case. Goy's house in the Hatzir. You want to make Shituf Mevuot, the whole business. You have five employees that are living in the Goy's house. Each one is on a different floor, let's say. They have his own, he has his own area in the Goy's house. He has his own room, his own section. Or for that matter, you have five Nikitato. Five guys that work seasonally, yeah, they're in the Goy's house. Mahu, what's the question? Question is like this. Do we go Lahmir and say that if one of them does not join in the Iruv, he messes it up for the whole uh, for the whole Haserot, for the whole Shituf Mevot. Because normally what's the deen? When you have residents, if one resident desists, he doesn't want to be part of it, so he ruins it for everybody else. Because now you have not everybody's collected, not everybody's considered one. 
So we want to know, is that deen apply also to sikhiro v'lekitato? Meaning you're telling me that we have a leniency to consider it what? That it's now Jewish residency. Right? When you have the employee by the goy, we're going to consider it a Jewish residency to allow you to make an eruf. Right? The goy's chenek is considered not, 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 not non-existent. Good. But do we go a step further and also say that, well, now they're considered residents. Well, you got five guys in there. It's five residents. And therefore, you need to collect eruf from all five. And if one of them doesn't give the eruv, he ruins it for everybody. Which means, how far are you taking this? So the Gemara says, Amar leh. So Rabbi Yosef answers Abaye. Im amnu sikhiro ul kitol lehakel, yomru sikhiro ul kitol lahmir. She says, oh. The deen of sikhiro ul kitol, the employee that we said, we said it lehakel. We said it to be lenient, meaning to consider a Jewish residency to knock out the halik goy. But did we say it lahmir? Certainly not. Meaning, even if one guy of the five or the ten, it's five, doesn't be part of the Eruv, he's not going to ruin it for everybody else. Because bottom line, it's not considered a total residency of the Jew. I mean, after all, the Goy can kick these guys out anytime he wants. You have to remember that. They're living in his house, but he has the rights in the end. So we said it, Lehakel, since they have some rights in his house, we'll consider it Jewish residency, that the guy's not there. But, if one of these guys doesn't partake in the Ayruv, he's not going to ruin the fair We're not going to consider it five separate residencies, because it's really not the resident of the Jew at the end of the day. I mean, the guy can tell the Jew at any moment, get out of here, you're fired. So therefore, the deen was only said, Lehakel, and not Lachmir comes to Gemara further and says Gufa. Okay. Now the Gemara goes into some other uh, dini. We learned earlier that what the employee is able to be part of the eruv and it's enough. Meaning you don't have to deal with the goy's residency anymore. The fact that the employee has rights in the goy's house that is enough. Amar of Nachman. So Rav Dahman loved it. He said, how beautiful, how great is this halakha. He, he liked this. He said, this is a good halakha. So comes the Gemara and says, Amar Rabbi Amar Shemuel. Now we have another halakha. Rabbi Yudah said the name of Shemuel. Shatar vi'it yayin. If a posik drank a vi'it of wine, he drank uh, three ounces, let's say, and change of wine, al yore. shouldn't give a halakha. Can't be posek halachot. Why? Because uh, you know you have a little wine in your system. You can't give a halacha when you when you're being you're, you're, when you're partly intoxicated. So therefore, Rabbi Yudamarishmuel said halacha. You should know a posek should not give halachot if he drank a rivayit of wine. Amar of Nachman lo me'alya hashmata. This halacha he said, Nah, I don't like it. This is not a good halacha. Why is it not a good halacha? Deha ana kol kama delo shatina reviata de hamra. He says, for me, it's the opposite. Until I drink a reviat of wine, lot sila datai. I don't have a peace of mind. I don't have clarity of thought, which means to me, on the contrary. And Rabbi Dahman was actually saying, and I don't think I'm different than most people. Which means, if, if I need a little wine to settle my mind, I think most people would, would, would need that. So he says, I don't go for this halakha. Eh, it doesn't make sense. Which is, Rav Nahma, what he was doing was here is, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's raiding the halakhot. 
The first one he said, this is a good halakha. This I like, the halakha of the, the goy, that you knock him out by being an employee. That's a good item. And when it comes to this other halakha, I don't like it. So the Gemara now is going to criticize of Nahman in the fact that he's raiding the halakhot. This one I like, this one I don't like. The Gemara is going to say, you don't do that. You know, when it comes to halakhot, you're not supposed to, you know, uh, exactly, you know, say you prefer one over another one. So comes the Gemara and says, Amar le Why did you say this? Why, why, why did you say this halakha I like, this halakha I don't like? Didn't we learn in the name of Rabbi Ahabar Hanina? My dikhtiv. What does it mean when the pasuk that says in Mishlein? Which literally means the person that grazes with zonot, which means he commits promiscuity, eventually he will lose his wealth. That causes a person he will lose his wealth. But the Gemara explains it over here. If you take the word zonot and you split it up in to two words, it sounds as if you're saying ze nae, which means the one that says ze nae when he hears a halakha, he says, oh, this is a good one, and then the opposite would be when he hears halakha doesn't like, he says ze enonae. What happens? Kola omer shimua zu naa vezu enanaa meabed honashil Torah. He destroys or ruins or nullifies the kavod of the Torah and eventually he's going to come to forget the Torah. Why? Because when you come along and say, this halakha is nice, that implies that what? The halakha is not nice? Which means the Maharsha learns. Even to say this halakha is nice and you accept it, it's not proper to say. Because you're implying, oh, that other halakhot are not uh, sensible, they're not uh, logical, or they're not proper. So you can't even compliment a halakha by saying, this one is na'ah. Certainly to say, zu'inu na'ah. And the Kimaraz is basing it on a pasuk, zonot. The guy that's zonot, that says, zuna'ah, zonot, zuna'ah, yeah, bedon. He's disrespecting the Torah, uh, because he's, like I said, he's raiding the uh, halakhot, and therefore it's, uh, it's not good. So that's what he rebuked uh, uh, Rav Nachman. So what happens? Kebara says, Amar le hadribi. He's okay, I take it back. He, I, I, uh, I retract. Okay? Now, the Me'iri writes, and I quote, him. He's listen, all the words of the rabbis, they're, they're perfect. And somebody that even uh, degrades one word, ought who it's a sign, that means the lacking is in the person, that he must have not understood the words. And now what's going to end up happening? He's going to just uh, mistreat the words of the rabbi. He's not going to give them the proper credence. So you understand the logic of the Me'idi here is that when you say, ah, this is not, uh, doesn't make sense. So now when halachot can be said over to you, you're going to treat them now without the same reverence. And therefore when you don't have the same reverence for the halakha, you end up forgetting it. So therefore that's what's saying. The Sfat Emet says, 
שאם אמר שמועה זו נאה וזו אינה נאה, מראה הוא כי הולך הוא אחר דעתו בלבד. When you start saying, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, that shows already you're not mevatel your da'at to Torah. You're going with logic. But you, you don't have any subjugation to the law per se of the hakamim, which is from uh, God. You know, you're going with your own rationale. So that shows you're lacking in, in, in avdut. You're lacking in uh, subjugation or servitude to the law itself. Okay, now regarding this halakha uh, of not being able to drink uh, before you give a psak halakha, the question is, so how long after you drink, when can you start giving halakhot again? So the Bet Yosef writes that it really depends on the person. Once you start to feel that the wine is dissipating in your system, so then you can go start giving halakhot. It should be pointed out that Harambam, in his list of mitzvot, counts this as one of the lavin. And he bases it on the pasuk in Parashat Shemini. It says, Yayin v'shechar al-tisht. And then right after that it says, Ulhorot et b'nei Yisrael et kol ha-hokim. So he says, what's the connection between Ulhorot b'nei Yisrael et kol ha-hokim and to teach the laws to the Jewish people? He's telling you, yeah, don't drink wine. In order that you be able to teach the laws to the people. So he says this is a lav deoraita. To give halakha mitoch shtuye yain. It should be pointed out that Ramban in his hasagot, uh, under Ramban's list of the mitzvot, argues and says, no, this is not a deoraita. Uh, and he poses some, uh, some questions. Fine. Comes to give it up further and says, huh? No, not drunk. He just drank it of your eat of yain. Not necessarily drunk. And the, the, the stories told of uh, uh, different rabbis, I think they tell the story of Yosef Salant on the night of Pesach, that he used to do the seder very quickly, because he was a posek halakhan, he knew that many questions were going to come to him the night of the seder. You know, I didn't lean, I didn't drink the shiur and all that. So he wanted to be, uh, you know, able to give psak halakha. So he would do the seder very early to give the wine, a time to uh, leave a system where they can give halakhot for the rest of the community uh, that night. In any event, the Gemara now says, uh, A person that drank, he shouldn't pray. But if he prayed with the Avad, tefillah counts. However, shikor ayit palil. If a guy is inebriated, he's drunk, Ayyipalil uh, certainly should not pray. Different, different level. Now, if the guy prayed, his tefillah is an abomination and he's not yotzeh. So there's a difference between shatui and shikor. Well, what's the difference? But how, how, much, uh, how much quantity are we talking here? So the Gemara says, Hechi damesh shatui, vechi damesh shikor. How do you judge? What's a shatui and what's considered a shikor? Kiad Rabbi Ababar Shumni, Verab min Ashabar ibn Yami Gifti. Havu kamifterim hadadeh. There were two rabbis, Rabbi Ababar Shumni and Rabbi Nashibar Yirmiyami Gifti. They were leaving each other. They were leaving. They were together learning. And now they were departing from each other. Hava kamifterim hadadeh. Amma'abirad dinahar yufteh. And they were at the crossing of the river of yufteh. 
They were by the bridge over the river of Yufti, and now they're going to depart from each other, the rabbis. Amru, so they said, Kol had milta delo Before we leave, let everybody say a Devre Torah that their friend has not heard yet. Devre Torah before they depart. Why would they do that? De'amar mori bar ravuna lo yipater adam mehavero ela mitoch devre halakha. Because when a person departs from his friend, he should depart mitoch devre halakha. He should, uh, you know, leave with a devre Torah or a halakha. Why? Shemitoch kach zuchro. Because through that, he will remember, uh, he will remember him. Which means, uh, the way the Mephashi learn it, it's not mandatory, but it's proper to uh, steer the conversation in a way where it eventually will lead to some Devre Torah, in order that what? Uh, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll remember the person. It seems that, um, because whenever you mention this halakha, you'll say, oh, yeah, we discussed this with uh, so-and-so uh, before we left. Uh, some of the Mephashim explain that this is referring to, uh, this is where we get the custom that before somebody goes away on a uh, trip or people depart from each other, they say the halakha of Yahid v'rabim, halakha k'rabim. Because that's an easy halakha to remember. And it's a short and sweet. And therefore we're fulfilling this Gemara by discussing some sort of halakha. And the Mikubalim explained that there is a deeper reason why we chose that uh, halakha. Because it's Rashi Tevot, Yud, Vav, He, Chaf. Yahid, V'rabim, Halakha, Kerabim. And that's the name of the Malach that protects a person when he is on the road. Based on the Pasuk, Ki Malachav, Yitzavir Lach. The Sofet Tevot of Ki Malachav, Yitzavir Lach is Yud, Vav, He, Chaf. So therefore, that became the custom of saying a halakha that also has that shem. So that's maybe the Gemara means over here. Shemitoch kach zuchro. Which means by saying these halakot, you will remember who? You'll remember God. Which means by mentioning God's the shemot over there, you will remember. A different explanation that uh, we may offer to this Gemara means shemitoch kach zuchro might mean that this is a way to remember not your friend and not only God, but to remember the halakha. What does it mean? Usually people remember things of uh, dramatic uh, nature. For example, when a person is departing from someone, that's an event that makes a, an impression. Uh, people would remember what, you, what he was wearing when he left, what, uh, what, what was said, the conversation. It's a, it's a moment that makes a, uh, an etched in the memory. So the hakamim was so wise, they said, why waste an opportunity that's not going to be forgotten on trivial things? At that moment, speak the Vre Torah. But because the event is so dramatic, you will remember the Vre Torah. Which means, how can we want to channel the, the moment to something that will be everlasting instead of being something that's uh, meaningless? So in any event, those rabbis were on the, uh, the bridge, and they said, I want to say the Vre Torah. So what was the first Vre Torah? The Gemara says, so the first one, the first rabbi opened up and said, Oh, what is considered shatui, guy who drinks, and what's considered a guy who is drunk? So the Gemara says, Shatui, 
guy who drinks, who is tefillah, still considered a tefillah. So long as he can still talk in front of the king, uh, so then already he's not considered drunk yet. Meaning, a mortal king. So if you can talk in front of a mortal king, so then already we, your tefillah is considered a tefillah, because uh, obviously God is a king. Once a guy has too much to drink where he's not even able to stand and talk in front of a king, he doesn't have the uh, understanding maybe of the respect of the king, or he's slurring his words, and he's not under the, uh, under the understanding what a king is, so therefore he cannot pray. But if you don't have Yidiyah, uh, so obviously that's, uh, that's the factor. So comes the Gibran says, The next rabbi got up before he left, and he said the following Hadush. Gemara is discussing an issue like this. The Gemara now is going to talk about the concept of Ayin Ara. When people make windfall profit with very little effort, there's a lot of jealousy that's aroused by other people. You know, it's one thing if a person works hard for his money, right, so people are not too, uh, too envious of it. But when it happens very easily, so then people start to, you know, they resent it, they're jealous, and they might put Aynar on a person. One example of this would be, the law says if a ger dies. Now, in most cases, a ger does not have any relatives. He has no inheritors. Uh, he has uh, no familiar... Uh, 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 relations because when a convert converts as if he's just born his parents are not related to him halachically his children that he had are not related to him so now what happens when he dies who gets his estate the law is first come first serve the first one that comes and claims it makes hazakah on it it becomes his now that's a, a very easy way to make some money so the Gibbara says, a guy that's mahzik bin nikseh ger. The ger died, first guy ran to the field, he put his uh, shovel in the ground, dug a, dug a little, put a fence up, he owns it. Now everybody else said, wow, what a windfall. The guy did nothing, and I became a millionaire overnight. So how does he protect it? Because now there's going to be ayin on the guy. Now everybody's saying, oh, this guy made a lot of money easily. So he, the guy needs to somehow preserve the wealth. So the Gemara says, you know what he has to do? Gemara says, Ma ya'aseh on the bottom line, Ma ya'aseh v'yitkayimu b'yado, yikah bahem sefer Torah. Go buy a sefer Torah with the money. Which means, the Gemara is teaching us over here, that if you go and do a mitzvah, but specifically the Gemara is telling you which mitzvah, which means when you go buy a sefer Torah with it, then already it's able to Preserve the uh, preserve the mitzvah, and the Torah Chaim explains that it's davka sefer Torah, because these are mitzvot that endure. And the Gemara could have just said give sedaka, but sedaka you did the mitzvah, uh, the guy benefited. It's over. A sefer Torah is durable; it's there for the next hundred years. So they want you to be involved with a mitzvah that's you know stands the uh, stands the test of time. Now, that being said. Uh, the logic behind it is, once a person takes some of his money and gives it the tzedakah, and gives it for a mitzvah, 
the message is, at least for himself, it wasn't your doing, it wasn't your smarts, it wasn't your uh, 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 effort. It's all from Bore Olam. Therefore, you're giving it, you're showing it. It's not me, I have to give, uh, give it to Bore Olam. So that in itself will be a protection for the person against the Ayin Ara. So now the Gemara gives a different scenario. Amar of Sheshat, what Sheshat said, Afilu Baal b'nikse ishto. What about a husband that all of a sudden falls into a windfall from the assets of his wife? Guy is uh, married, and all of a sudden his wife gets a windfall. She gets an inheritance and things like that. Easy money. Now the guy falls into a big, uh, a big prize. So the Gemara that case also. Take the money, some of the money of course, go buy a Sefer Torah with it, in order that nobody has Hasm uh, Shalom, the Ainara would not be able to, uh, to, go, to get in there. Rava Amar, Afilu Avad Iska Viravach. Even business. Guy did an easy business deal, and he made a lot of money. Take the sum of the profits right away. Go give, uh, to buy a Sefer Torah, in order to take off the uh, Ainara. There is a fantastic Ya'avetz over here, in his Teshuvot. Uh, it's uh, maybe uh, uh, dangerous to say over, in the sense that, uh, he writes that from this Gemara you see that there is not even an obligation rabbinically to give Maser, Maser Kesafim, to give 10% of your money to Tzedakah. Why? He says because if there was an obligation to give 10% Maser, so what's the Gemara searching for different type of preservation? Uh, uh, give Tefillin, like we're going to see in a moment, Tefillin or Tzefer Torah, uh, the Gemara just should have said, you're giving your 10% anyway. Once you give your 10%, no problem. Now, according to the Maharsha that we just quoted, there's not a problem. The Maharsha discussed this by saying, the Gemara was trying to give you a mitzvah that's lasting. Which means, yeah, you're giving your ma'asid. We know you're giving your ma'asid, but that's not going to do it. We want a mitzvah that's going to be kayam, like a sefer Torah. So therefore the Ya'abetz is proof, technically can be uh, refuted, by saying, of course you were giving you 10% ma'asir. But over beyond that, we want you to take some of the monies and buy a mitzvah. And actually the Birkei Yosef Rav Chida does refute this Ya'abetz. And that could be his, he, he doesn't tell you what his, he doesn't tell us what his reputation is. He just says, yesh hot. So it could be that's the reputation, like the Maharsha said, that he wants you to buy a mitzvah that is kayam, permanent. Besides the tzedakah that you're going to give. In any event, the Gemara says, Even if you're walking in the street, you found the, you know, a lost object. Again, that's a windfall. You know what? Even if you didn't buy, can't buy, you didn't buy a sifat Torah. Even if you spend the money on writing a pair of tefillin, that's also considered a sigulah, in order to ward off the Ayin Aram. No, we're learning a very important, uh, very important Gemara. Sefer Torah, Tefillin, these type of mitzvot. Comes the Gemara and says, V'amar of Hanan ve'etima Rav Hanina. Me'ekira'a. Where's the source for this uh, concept? Dekhtiv. Pasuk says, V'yidar Yisrael neder Hashem. The Jewish people made a, uh, a national vow. And the Pasuk ends off and says, Vayomar, I'm quoting the Pasuk, Imnaton titenet ha'amazebiyadi, right, if uh, we are successful in conquering this nation, Vaharamtit arehim, 
we're going to sanctify the cities. So what do you see? B'nai Israel said, if we're successful at the war, we're going to take from the spoils in the city and consecrate it to God. It shows you the concept that when you make a prophet, you have to give some back to God. Now we go back to the law of drinking wine. Derech mil veshina kol shehu a person drinks, and now he needs to dissipate his wine. He needs the wine to become, uh, you know, nullified in his system. So he's giving you different different ways. Walk a meal's distance. Walk a meal, or shina kolshu. Just a little sleep, a little nap, can also cause the wine to dissipate. So I read that again. Derech mil veshina kolshu. That's his advice. She says, Ozu, Ozu. Either or. You don't need to do both. One or the other is an option. Kemara says, This is only talking about a guy who drank up to a revi'it. But if a guy drank more than a revi'it, then it has an adverse effect. Then already, if you drink more than the day, the walking will confuse you more, you'll become more mebulbal, you'll become more meturad, uh, uh, and all the more so sleeping will only cause you to get more drunk. So therefore, it depends exactly, these options only work for up to a day, but more than a day, these items are counterproductive. So the Gemara asks, you're telling me that walking a meal's distance has the ability to dissipate the effects of wine? Is that true? So now the Gibran is going to tell us a very interesting story. And in the story, we're going to see a question. But in the story is a long story till we, uh, we get to the question of it. The Gibran says like this, We learned in a Brayta. Ma'aseh, Gamliel shayar was riding on his donkey. He was traveling from the city of Akko to the city of Kaziv. I was traveling behind him. Benish Hai says that's why he gave us the names of the city. He gave us his route to give praise to the Vilai that was trailing his rabbi all the way from Akko to Kaziv. He's giving praise to the rabbi behind him that was following him in order to be Mishamesh Tamidi Hakamim. So I want to show us, and he traveled with him all the way from Akko to Kziv. In any event, Matza Gluskin Baderich. What happened? The Bangalore found some loaves of bread on the road. So what did he do? Amar lo ilai tol gluskin min aderich. says, ilai, pick up the uh, bread. Take the bread from the, uh, from the road. Okay. Matza nukhri ehad. All of a sudden, as they were traveling, a Gentile presented himself. Goy was there. Amar lo, so Rabban Gamayel says, Mabgai, told gluskin halalu mil'ai. So he tells Mabgai, the Goy, that's his name. Mabgai, go take the uh, loaves of bread from mil'ai. Now the Hadush over here right away is, how did Rabban Gamayel know his name? One of two options. Either you say he knew him, or you say that he had some sort, right, he had a name tag on, 
or you say that he had some sort of Ruach HaKodesh. So the Gemara says, Nitfalo Rabbi Elai. So Rabbi Elai dealt with the Goyne. He's got to give him the, uh, the bread. Right? Amar lo mehekan atta. So Rabbi Elai asked the Goy, Minjaye, where are you from? Amar lo me'ayaro chilburganim. I come from a city of huts. I live in a hut from a certain city. Fine. Umashemecha. So he tells the guy, what's your name? He says, Mabgai Shmini. Shem Shedi. Mabgai. My name is Mabgai. So he says, Do you know, does Abangamil know you? I mean, he, he called you Mabgai. Do you have, do, do, is he an acquaintance? Do you know him? Amar lo, lav. He's not, and I never met him. So the Gibbara says, Be'otasha'a lamadnu. At that moment we learned, Shikiven Rabangam Liel Beruach HaKodesh. That clear Rabangam must have had the Ruach HaKodesh, where he was able to call the guy by his name without even knowing him. Okay, so that's that's fact number one. Rabangam Liel was about the Ruach HaKodesh. Ushloshad Devarim Namadnu Be'otasha'a. And we learned three things, halachic things, at that moment. Number one, Number one, we learned that you do not pass over food that you find on the derech. Which means Abayel made it a point to stop to pick up the bread. So therefore when you see food that's strewn in the street, you don't keep it there in disgrace. You go pick up the food. That's, that's halakha number one you learn from the story. Halakha number two, we also learn that you go according to majority. What does this mean? You go after the majority of the goyim. Obviously, Rabban Gamaliel did not allow Ravilai to eat the bread. Now he made him give it away. Why not? Let him eat it. Well, since the majority of people that travel those streets are goyim, you have to assume that who dropped the bread? A goy. And therefore that would be pat akum. That would be the bread of a goy. The bread of a goy you're not allowed to eat. So therefore, we see halakha over here, that he followed the law of majority. Now, the Mephashim all point out, I mean, what's the Hadush in that statement over there? The, the Torah says, Aharir Abim Lahatot. I don't need Rabban Gamliel to teach me a Hadush like this, that's explicitly written in the Torah. You follow majority. So explanation is, Hadush was here, even though the bread was found in front of a city, of Jews. So therefore you might rationalize and say, well, it was found from, you know, as they're walking on the road, it was by the city of the Jews. So maybe you go according to where it came out of, technically. And if it was the city of Jews, come on, no. Since the travelings on the road itself are of Goyim, you have to assume it's Goy bread, Pat Akum, and therefore he did not allow the Vilai to eat it. So on one hand he told them to pick it up, because that's Kavod Ochli. But the other hand he told them, give it to the Goy, so he doesn't eat it. Third thing, Vilamadnu, mutar The third thing we learned is that the hametz of a Goy after Pesach is mutar bahana'ah. What are we talking about over here? So the Mephashim point out that this episode happened right after Pesach. That's fact number one. Now, the Halakha says that normally, that means hametz that was owned by a Jew. After Pesach, that bread is forbidden to benefit from. 
What about hametz that was owned by a goy? Is it also asur banaa? Is it also forbidden to derive benefit from? So from this story we see that it is permissible to derive benefit from hametz that was owned by a goy. Why? Because we just said, who dropped that bread must be a goy, because rov is goyim. Good, so that must be bread of a goy. What did he do with it, Rabban Gamliel? He told the vilai, give it to a goy. Now, giving that bread to a goy is considered a hana'ah. Why? Because now that you gave him something, so you're getting a benefit in that now he owes you something. So therefore, that's called tovat hana'ah. So when you give a goy something, even though you're giving, but now there's a certain benefit you get from it. There's a hana'ah there. Oh! Obviously, you must teach us that hametz of a goy, after Pesach, mutar, hana'ah. That's why he allowed the vilai to give the bread to the goy. Who did the bread belong to? A goy. How do we know? Because we just said the rov of the people are goyim. So therefore, from the fact that he gave it to uh, the goy, must be allowed to have... Now, so those are the three things that were uh, learned from this, uh, from this story. Now... Comes the Gemara and says, "Kevanchi gel dechziv." Okay, story continues. They got to the city. They got dechziv. Ba echad lishael al nidro. A guy came. He needed to make hatanat nedarim. Doesn't tell us exactly what his vow was. He made a vow of some sort. So he said to the rabbi, "Please, you know, I need you to nullify my vow for me." Amar lezish imo. So the Bangimel tells the rabbi that was with him. Meaning, uh, Did we drink any Italian wine uh, during our travelings? Uh, so the rabbi told me, yeah, we, we, we drank. So then the Bangam is, oh, if we drank, we're unfit now to make a halakha over here of Hataran, that didn't nullify vows. So what should we do first? So he told the guy, listen, travel with us. Until our wine dissipates. And the rabbi traveled three mil. Until, until he reached a place called the heights of Sur. Sur heights. Once he got to this place of Sulma de Tzur, Yarad Rabbi got off his donkey. Then it atif. No, he covered himself up. He wrapped himself up like the custom of the judges were. The yashav, and he sat. The tirlo nidro, and he made hatanat nedarim for the guy. So the Gemara says, "Ba'arved devarim lamadnu be'otashah." Again, we learned a lot of things from that situation, and now we understand why Rabbi Lai was trailing Rabbi Gamliel because everything he did is steeped in uh, Jewish law. So this is shibush tamid ha'gamim. Number one, we learned that drinking this Italian wine is inebriating. Number two, we are learning now also that somebody that's inebriated, that's drunk, should not give a halakha, because Rabban Gamaliel said, no, we can't make a tarim here yet. We also learned that traveling can also oh, dissipate the effects of wine. And we also learned that you don't nullify vows, not when you're traveling on the animal. 
Velo malech, nor while you are walking. Velo omed, neither when you're standing. Ela yoshev. Because Rabban Gamliel made it a point to get off the hamor and sit when he made the hatara. That is the end of the story. Now the Gemara poses its question. We have a partial quotation from the story. We said three mil. Till now, you said, how much does a person have to walk in order to dissipate the effects of the wine? One meal. Uh, the story is the opposite. Here you see, one meal is not enough. Rabban Gamliel had to walk three meal. So, ah, oh, so the Gemara says, Shani yayina italki demishakir tefeh. Different wines. This was not stam yayin. This was yayina italki. Yayina italki is very powerful. And therefore, you need more than one meal. Normal wine, one meal. Yayina italki, shilosham milin. That's why the Gemara wants to answer it at this point. Comes the Gemara and says, Be'amarav nechman amarababar abu. When are we talking that a meal, walking a meal will help? That's only talking if you drank up to a devi'it, like we learned. But if you drank more than a devi'it, all the more so, the traveling confuses the person and tires him and uh, is matrid. And sleeping, all the more so, makes him more drunk. Therefore, if you're telling me that Yayin Aitalki is worse, so drinking a Rivi'it of Yayin Aitalki is like drinking more than a Rivi'it of Yayin. Right? And would we say when you drink more than a Rivi'it of Yayin, traveling makes it worse? So therefore, the Gemara is asking, Rabban Gabriel, what, what, what are you doing? You don't answer me Yayin Aitalki. Because if you tell me Yaina Italki, he drank it if you eat of Yaina Italki. But that's strong wine. Oh, it's strong, that means it's Yaina Italki, if you eat's worth, is worth more regular, regular wine, more than if you eat. When we say more than if you eat, what it does to you when you start traveling? Adverse effect. Uh, so what are you talking? <laughs> He's traveling a three meal? Adraba. So the Gibraltar says, no, 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 no. Rachuv Shani. He wasn't walking, he was traveling. He was riding on his donkey. So therefore, when did we say the derech is matri, the person that drank more than if you eat? That's when he's walking. But if he's traveling on the donkey, it will not have the adverse effect. So at this point, the Gemara is saying, he drank yayin italki. Drinking yayin italki is considered drinking more than if you eat. But no problem. Since he was riding, riding will dissipate the, uh, the effects. You have to say that, Either it's the fresh air when you're riding, or, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you're, you're just uh, moving up and down, the movement. In any event, the Gemara says, wait, once already you're telling me that there's a difference between walking and riding, which means now we can answer the original question of Rami Bar Abba. He was the one that uh, started this whole a question, right, all the way back on top. Right, he was the one that said, Derech Mil is Mefig. And now we wrote a question, we said, what do you mean, Derech Mil? He went, three Mil. We can answer like this, 
Rakuv Shani. I mean, I can tell you there's no difference between Yaina Italki and regular one. Yaina Italki is just like every other one. And therefore, normally when you drink a Rivi'it, what's the deen? Walk a meal's worth, it'll dissipate it. Ah, but he wasn't walking. He was riding. So three meals of riding is equivalent to one meal of walking. You don't have to come along and say, Yain Italki is stronger. It's not stronger. It's the same potency as every other wine. And therefore, why did he allow himself to go three meal? Because there's a difference, obviously, between walking it off or riding it off. So that's the way we take care of the contradiction. So Gebra says... Ini, we have a contradiction. Another point now, the Gemara goes into. Ve'amar of Nahman, mefirin nedarim, ben mehalech, ben omed, u ben rachuf. Side point. He got off the donkey to make hatarat nedarim. That implies us to what? That you have to make hatarat nedarim sitting. But we clearly have a brighter that says, or of Nahman says, that you can make hatarat nedarim in any position. You could make it walking, you could make it standing, you can even make it as you are riding. So why did he get off the donkey to sit? Kebara says, Tanaehi. Yeah, what do you want? It's a mahlok at the subject. Di'ika leman de'amar. Because there's one rabbi that says, Potrin baharata, di'ika leman de'amar, and potrin baharata. Listen to a very important mahlok by the laws of Hattarat Nidarim. What does Hattarat do? It nullifies the vow. But there's a great mahlok amongst the hakamim, and the proper procedure of nullifying vows. One Tana holds potim baharata. You have to open up the hatara ceremony with trying, to, with giving a a logical reason to explain to the person that wants hatara. Had you known this, would you have made hatara or not? You have to find a cause or a reason in order that we could nullify his vow retroactively. But you have to say, if you would have known that this and this would have been the consequence of making this vow, would you have made the vow from the inception? Because had I known this, I wouldn't. That's finding a petah. You're finding a, an exit. You're finding a, an opening. You're trying to find them an out. So therefore, one rabbi says, the obligation of the betin is before they give hatara to find a petah. According to that logic, you need to think. Therefore, that opinion will say, you got to sit when you're making a tarat nidarim. Because you need to have uh, peace of mind. The other tana says, no, no, no. Mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem. You just make a, uh, you know, a quick hatara, you don't have to find a petah. So therefore, that opinion will be the opinion that holds. You can even make the hatara while you are riding, because it doesn't take too much uh, thought. So comes the Gemara and says, on the first wide line, or second wide line, I say, <laughs> now we want to know what exactly was the petah. Because obviously Rabban Gamaliel sat down. So he must have found him an out. What did he tell him? So the Gebarah says he actually told him the following pasuk from Mishle. Yesh There are people that make utterances. And the utterances are like uh, a piercing spear. Yes, bote, bitui. 
There are people that utter, meaning vows, and their vows are as dangerous or as uh, piercing as a spear, which is dangerous. Ulshon hachamim merpeh. But it's the words of the rabbis that heal. When the rabbi comes along and says, mutalach, 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 he absolves him of his vow that is bad. Why is vows bad? So the Gebarah says, Yesh, get the right word, Yesh boteh kematkerot harev, ulshon hachamim merpeh. Call a boteh, anybody that makes a vow, it's worthy to lance him with a spear. Why? Because what are you making vows for? What are you making a vow for? Now, now, now you're subjecting yourself to break the vow. So therefore, better not to. And therefore, that's what he told him. He said, had you known this fact, that the rabbis say it's better not to make a vow, if you would have known that, it's considered dangerous to make vows. Because you might break it. Would you have still made it? Guy was, no, 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 no. If I would have known that, uh, I, mean, I thought vows are a great item. I didn't know that uh, it's really not so good to make a uh, neder. And actually, that she says, had you known that you'd be hayav mita by making the neder? Because the says, kemat kerot It's like being lanced by a spear. So, the Gebarat says, But bottom line, the words of the rabbis, can nullify. So the guy said, obviously, oh, I wouldn't have made the neder. So he, he cured him. He took the neder off him. Comes to give the last point. Amar Mor, we had a statement. Right? We said that when you see food in the street, you can't pass over, you have to pick it up. Amar Abiyu, Hanam, This is only talking about the early generations. She'en benot Yisrael where the Jewish ladies were not uh, rampant in black magic. But in the later generations where the Jewish girls are rampantly involved in black magic, then already you leave the food. Meaning, there was a time where the Jewish women would be involved in sorcery, witchcraft, etc. And what they would do is, they would put spells on food. And therefore, if a guy would come pick up the food, he would get damaged. So therefore, they say, the only time they say to pick up food is when, in the earlier generations, where there was no, there was no concern of black, uh, black magic. Uh, but in the, the later generations, then already, leave the food on the floor because it's dangerous. Now, obviously, you have to say that Rabban Gamliel, he picked up the food. Okay? Now, obviously, he said what? That this was from a goy. Right? He assumed that this was from a goy. And the Mephashim point out that you have to say that it was from a goy, because Rov, people that travel the streets are goyim. And therefore, like this, must be that just like it was rampant in one generation by the Jews, called Sheken by goyim. Jeez, don't think the goyim were any better off than the Jews. The Hadush of the Gemarar is that even the Jews were rampant in, in, in witchcraft. So, then the question is, if the Goyim were rampant in uh, witchcraft, so then why do you pick it up? Oh, that's very good. That's why the Gemara had to tell us that he had Ruach HaKodesh. Which means, because he knew this guy, Mabgai, and he knew that what? There was no, there was no witchcraft on it. But, had the... 
not been a Ruach HaKodesh over here, he wouldn't have allowed it of Eli to pick it up at all. So now we understand the significance of why the Gemara goes out of its way to tell us he had the Ruach HaKodesh. There's a halachic ramification of it, which is really he would have left the, uh, the bread as well. Because if there's witchcraft by Jews, there's witchcraft by, by the Guim itself. And he's Dorot HaHaronim. So therefore, uh, uh, he, uh, he allowed himself to pick it up. In any event, comes the Gemara and concludes and says, Tana, Shelemim Ma'avirim. Whole loaves of bread, you pass over. Because it seems the witchcraft was only done on whole loaves. Petitin and Ma'avirim. But Petitin, on broken pieces, you pick up. And they don't, they don't make Kishuf on the broken pieces. Okay, we're not, uh, you know, black magic people over here, but it seems that the black magic hits on the whole ones and not on the, not on the pieces. Amalir of Asir of Asher. Ve'apetitin lo avdan? Oh, you're telling me that they don't do black magic on pieces? Ve'aketiv, doesn't the pasuk say in Yehezkel? Ve'tehalelena oti el'ami besha'ale se'orin u'biftote lehem. It says they desecrated my name and my nation with sha'ale. The right word, sha'ale. Se'urim, which means handfuls of, Se'urim is barley, ubiftote and pieces of bread. Which means the Pasuk of Yaskil is saying, on the contrary, the desecration of our nation came by ladies that were doing black magic and destroying the nation with pieces of bread. So you see what? The black magic is even on pieces. Answer the Gemara, Deshaklebe Agraihu. No. That was their payment. Which means they made the spells on whole foods. But what? They were paid with pieces. And therefore the Prophet says, they were mehalel my nation through the pieces of bread that they received as payment in order to put spells and magic and sorcery on whole loaves. So therefore you see that on the pieces they are not subject to the subject of Keshafim. Aruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.